We are continuing our series called Having a Heart Like God with a Life Like Mine. It's a study in the life of King David. Today, our lesson is could be, it, it's definitely my favorite story in the life of David. Um, it is probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It is very applicable. It is very um, prevalent in just about everybody's life. At some time or another in your life, you are going to face circumstances bigger than you are. Uh, bigger than anybody you know. Bigger than any resource you have access to. And when those times come, God uses those to totally strip from our life everything that we have trusted other than Him. And it has often been said that when I'm on my back in my life, there's only one place to look, and that's up. And when God is all you have, that's truly when we realize He's really all you need. And so all of us are going to face times like that if you have not already. Unfortunately, just because you have maybe once in your life, it doesn't mean they're not coming again, because they will. So today, we, we've already looked, by the way, in having a heart like God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. That's why we're using him for this topic. We looked and seen that to have a heart like God, anybody can do it. David was just a regular person like we are. So anybody can have a heart like God. Last time we looked that David was a servant. So to have a heart like God just simply means that we are totally committed to Him as His servant, to do whatever it is He wants us to do. And we looked at chapter 16, primarily verse 18, and the description of what David was like when he went to minister to King Saul playing his harp. Today, we're going to look at David and how he faced the giant in his life, literally, Goliath. All of us, to have a heart like God, one of the things that we have to learn to do is how to face the giants in our life. Because to have a heart like God means that we face those situations like God would, the way God intended for us to. So today, we're going to look at facing the giants. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pinched camp at Ephesdemim between Sokah and Ashkah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, with a valley between them. All right, let's stop for a minute and paint a, a kind of a mental picture in our mind of what's going on. There's this huge valley the Valley of Elah, and on one side of that valley, up on the mountain, is the armies of the Philistines, Goliath being with them. You go down into the valley and up on the other side, and there's Saul and the armies of the Israelites. So you've got one army on one hill and one army on the other hill, and they're looking at each other across the valley. The battle is to take place in the valley. So who's going to run off the hill first? That's kind of where they are. So there's a standoff. Who's going first? Well, 
there was one major issue that really kept either army from moving. And we're about to see what that is. So let's keep reading verse number 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. By the way, that's approximately 125 pounds. Those of you guys that have ever played football and you put on all that football equipment, you know how that feels. If you've ever been a scuba diver and you put on that equipment, you know how that feels. If you've ever been in the military and you had to wear a pack, you know how that feels. This is 125 pounds worth of equipment that this guy's got on his body. Now remember, he's not 5'11 like me. He's 9 feet tall. So I don't imagine 125 pounds was much of an issue for Goliath. But that's what his armor's like. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 5. A bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, or about 15 pounds. The, the end of his spear weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. I always thought this was so interesting. <laughs> Evidently, to have a shield big enough to protect a nine-foot guy, it required a whole other person to carry it. So he's got a shield bearer walking in front of him, carrying his shield to protect this nine-foot giant. Verse number eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? By the way, can I stop right here for just a second and point out something that is very, very important. Goliath, who represents the godless part of our world, he does not recognize Jehovah God. He does not recognize the creator of the universe. He basically is an agnostic who worships a false god. Primarily himself. But he perceives the Israelites as being the servants of Saul. That was not only Goliath's issue, it also became the same issue that hurt the armies of the Israelites. Because that is also how they saw themselves. We are the servants of Saul. David was different. And in a minute when we look and you start to see what David is talking about, you'll find what made David different. David viewed himself as a servant of the Lord, not Saul. You're going to see why that's important in just a minute. So, he says, are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man, latter part of verse 8, and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. Okay, let's stop here again, make a little practical application. Whenever you and I face difficulty in our life that appears to be bigger than we are, if we do not face it and overcome it, we end up serving it. It ends up controlling our life, and many times not for the good. 
You can't run from your problems. God allows them into our lives for a reason. We have to face them and attack them the way God intends for us to so that we can overcome them and God can, through this trial, accomplish in our life what He intends to accomplish. And remember, as believers, every trial in our life is a learning experience. If I don't face it now, I'm going to face it again until I learn the lesson. So, here's what Goliath is doing. Goliath says, look, why should all these people die? Okay? I mean, look, there's no need for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to die. You pick a man out of your group, and I'll come down from our group, and we'll go meet down in the valley, and everybody can just watch while we duke it out. Now, easy for a man, champion at war, nine feet tall, with 125 pounds worth of armor, a 15-pound spearhead, and a guy carrying a shield to say. Not so easy for a bunch of common Israelites who have nothing to match that. You know, it's like a professional baseball team saying, we'll face your 11 and 12 year old ozone team and whoever wins becomes world champions. Well, that ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. But that's what's going on. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse number 10. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Basically what he said was, he was cursing and making fun of them. I want you to notice the next phrase. Gentlemen, if there is ever a phrase in the Bible that ought to challenge you about the requirement of being a true man to serve God and that wimps don't make it in Christianity. And you know, it's so funny. Whenever I... When, early in my ministry, I'd always speak to teenagers a lot. And the concept was if you're a Christian, then you're some kind of sissy that just gives in to everybody and, and you know, you're never accomplishing it. You're some kind of a wimp of a person. Well, I want you to look at the next phrase, gentlemen, because this totally blows that idea apart. Goliath said, give me a man. Not a wimp, not a sissy, a man. And let me tell you, for anybody to walk out of that army and face this guy, he's got to be a man. A man of courage, a man of strength, a man who is not afraid of anything. But the problem was, he said, give me a man, let us fight together. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now to me, this begins the most ironic part of this whole story. Give me a man. Let's pause. If I were to ask you, what is the definition of a man? What would you say? Now, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me in your mind, if you were at home watching TV, what you think a man is. In case you're having trouble, I'll tell you what most people think it is. Great big bodybuilder hero guy. Lots of life experience. Really smart. CEO of a major company. There's your man. Well, evidently, Israel didn't have none of them. They had all kinds of guys that physically looked that way. They didn't have a man. Not a real one. 
And fellas, let me tell you, all that junk don't make you a man. And ladies, if you're looking for a real man, that ain't what you look for. That ain't a man. God's about to show us what a real man is. So let's keep going. I love this story. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse and was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. By the way, why does the Bible say he went back and forth from Saul? Do you remember what we studied last week, the latter part of chapter 16? What was David doing in the latter part of chapter 16 relative to King Saul? What was he doing? Remember? He was playing his harp. King Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. He called for a harp player. They found David. David would go whenever Saul was troubled and play his harp. According to this, when he was done, he would go back to his farm and take care of the sheep. And then he'd go back when Saul needed him, and then he'd go back home. So he's going back and forth from Saul to the sheep. That's what this verse is talking about. Okay? So let's keep going. Um, Verse 16. For 40 days... The Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. Forty days, Goliath comes out and does the same thing every day. In the morning, at night, every day. He does the same thing for 40 days. I mean, after a while, wouldn't you think somebody on the Israelite side of the hill would just get tired of that and say, if I die, I die, but I'm sick and tired of hearing this big mouth. I'll go fight him. Nobody. By the way, not even King Saul. Nobody. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah or roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Jesse said... Go check on them because they're all down there fighting the Philistines. The truth was they wasn't fighting nobody. They were all hiding behind a bunch of rocks, scared to death. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed him. Can I just point out to you real quick here, because we're going to look at it in just a minute. This verse points out some huge character qualities of David's life. Number one. He covered his responsibility. The Bible says he left the sheep with a keeper. That's very important. When you get over to verse 28, look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? Look at the next phrase. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? You little snotty-nosed kid. You came down here because you wanted to see all the fighting. You're supposed to be back there taking care of those sheep. I bet they're running all over everywhere wild and gone. You irresponsible little brat. You know what I think the Bible doesn't say, but you know what I think David said? Big brother, you don't have to worry about it. I made sure that my responsibilities were taken care of before I ever left. And by the way, I'm not here because I have nothing to do. 
I'm here because Dad told me to come. Go back to verse number 20 and look at the latter part of the verse. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed him. He was obedient. Suppose David said, oh, Dad, come on, do I have to go do that? I mean, do you know how much work that is? And I got to go all the way over there. I got all these sheep to take care of. Dad, come on. He did exactly what his dad told him to do. That's character. By the way, you're starting to see what a real man looks like. He fulfills his responsibilities. He's respectful to authority. He does what he's asked to do without complaining. The building of a real man. Let's keep going. He reached the camp, latter part of verse 20. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left the things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, David is now witnessing this. He heard what Goliath said, and he's witnessing the Israelites running back behind their, their safety lines. Remember earlier, a few verses before, they're all lining up to come to battle now. Goliath comes out, yells at them. They all take off and run. David heard it, and now he's watching all this. All right, verse 25. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Sign me up. Wealth, his daughter, I would imagine she's probably not ugly lest that not be much of a motivation. And exempt from taxes the rest of your life. I'll take that. Yet there still was nobody to volunteer. I mean, what good does it do to go down and fight this giant? You can promise me everything you want to. I'm about to go down there and get killed. I ain't going to get to enjoy any of it. That's what they're all thinking. I can't face this giant. He's too big for me. I don't care what you entice me with. I can't do it. Now look what David says. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now I don't know for sure if he heard it or not. I, I tend to think he heard what they said and he said, what did you say? What will King Saul do to the guy that kills this man? Now I want you to know something very important about David. By the way, another building block of a real man. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Here's what I want you to see. David didn't care anything about the material stuff Saul was offering. What bothered him was that somebody was defying his God. The material stuff didn't matter. 
What bothered him was his God. Now notice what happened. Verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with who did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Has David done anything wrong? Notice what his oldest brother saying to him. You came down only to watch the battle. Look what David says in verse 29. Now what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? In the King James Version, that phrase is translated, Is there not a cause? Is what I said wrong? Or is it the truth? You know what happens a lot of times whenever the truth is spoken in the midst of a group of people who know they're guilty of not obeying the truth? An old country preacher said years ago, if you shoot into a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit is going to holler. And what's happening is David spoke the truth. And everybody over there got hit. And his older brother's hollering. He's guilty. He knows his brother is right. And he's guilty. So he's retaliating. He's trying to make it look like David is the one that's wrong. David said, basically, did I do anything wrong? Let's keep going. Now what, verse 29, now what have I done? Can I not speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Here's a real man. Goliath said, give me a man. David said, here I am. By the way, please understand, this has got nothing to do with his age, his physique, or his position. David said, I can do this. Keep going. Look at verse 33. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting, been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep, from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Because I can't wait to get all that stuff that Saul promised. Is that what it says? Why was David willing to risk his life? Because he's defied the armies of the living God. I am defending the name of my God. I don't care about that other stuff. And I don't care if my life is in jeopardy. I'm doing what God wants me to do. That's what he says. Verse 37. Here's the difference in David and the rest of the armies of Israel. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I want you to get what's being said here. David is explaining to Saul how he killed the lion and the bear. How did David kill the lion and the bear? With his bare hands. He said he grabbed the sheep 
I went, I took the sheep from him. When the lion turned on me, I grabbed him by his hair, struck him, and killed him. He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. We saw last week in the description of David, physically he was probably a well-fit man. So he, he wasn't this little bitty nine-year-old kid. He probably was in his late teens or early 20s. But according to the Scripture, he was physically a well-fit man. He killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. But notice where David gave the credit. David didn't say, look, I was strong enough to kill a lion with my bare hands. I can kill this giant too. Is that what he said? No. In verse 37 he said, The Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear, He will deliver me from the Philistine. David didn't claim greatness because of what he did with the lion and the bear. David basically said if it wasn't for God, that lion and that bear would have eaten me alive. God protected me. God delivered me. He did it then. He can do it now. Let's keep going. Look at the last part of verse 37. You know what? To me, <laughs> every time I read this, I just I, I can't hardly believe it. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I have never in my life read or heard anywhere a greater hypocritical statement than this. Go, and the Lord be with thee. Okay, Saul, so i got a question for you. Why don't you go and let the Lord be with you? If you really believe that, why don't you go do it? I'm going to tell you why. Because earlier the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and he knew it. He knew it. That's why he wouldn't do it. And let me tell you, you better never think you can face a giant in your life and conquer it unless the Spirit of God is with you. Because you can't. That's why our daily relationship with Christ becomes so critical. Because the giants are coming. We better make sure we're like David, not like Saul. David goes on. Look at verse 38. To me, this is hysterical. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to him. Do you know that the Bible describes Saul as hidden shoulders in size above every other man in Israel? Saul was the biggest man in all of Israel. David is a child. He's a boy. Saul's putting all this armor on him. And David's trying to walk around. Now, by the way, notice David. Because he's a man, and a man of character, he was not disrespectful. He tried it. He said he even put his sword on. He tried walking around. And notice what he says. Look at the next verse. Or the latter part of the, or verse 39. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sleigh in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, 
and he despised him. Probably because he was good looking. I don't know. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Wrong thing to do. David is already fired up because his God, Jehovah God, has been disgraced. And now you're cursing him by mentioning all your false gods. All you're doing is adding velocity to that rock. He keeps going. Verse 44. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Can I stop right here and just point something else out? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Do you know how many of us fall prey and give in to the giants of our life because somebody said you can't do it or it'll never work or you just wait till I get my hands on you? So what? Goliath said, get out here. I'm going to beat you up, rip you in pieces, and feed you to the dogs. I didn't know he was going to do that. Maybe I ought to reconsider. David don't care what he said. What David is doing and the decision to do what he's doing has got nothing to do with anything except God said that's wrong facing and defeating and I will give you victory. If that's the way we face our giants, nothing can defeat us. So he keeps going. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. And in the world's view, I would say that's pretty good stuff. David said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God to the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You got a sword, a spear, and a javelin. David didn't say, and I'm coming to you with a slingshot and a rock. David said, I'm coming with God. You're not going to fight me. You're going to fight God. And he goes on to say, this day, verse 46, the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That is why we face our giants and allow God to give us victory. It is not so I can get ease from my pain. It is not so I can tell everybody how great I am. It is so the whole world will know there is a God. God and His glory is the only reason that He allows these things in our life, and that's why we do what we do. So He gets credit. By the way, that's why the giants come. Because when the giants come into our life, and there's no way we can overcome it. When we overcome it, there is no question who did it. It was God. I can't take credit for it. All right, let's keep going. As the Philistine moved closer, verse 48, and to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Notice, there was no hesitation. This is complete confidence in God. David didn't walk sheepishly up. He ran to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it. By the way, that makes me think David was probably born in the south. Because he slung it. You know, that's how we talk down here. 
He swung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the scabbard and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Notice this. To me, this is hilarious too. Then, Goliath's dead. David did the hard part. Then, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strolling along the road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. Look at verse 57. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. I wish I could have been there. Go back about halfway through the chapter. David stands before Saul and says, Don't worry, I'll kill the giant. Saul says, You can't do that. You're just a kid. You'll never be able to do it. Well, the Lord delivered me and He'll deliver me this time. Well, okay, here, take my armor. I can't do this. i got to do it my way. Well, go. And heaven forbid, God be with you. I wish I could have been there when David walked into Saul's office and plumped that bloody head down on his desk and said, I told you so. You see, you and I are going to face giants in our life. Now, why did I read all that and explain all that? Because there are three things that are on your notes. I don't have to explain all this to you. But let me tell you the three things that all of us have to do whenever we face huge situations in our life that are too big for us. Number one, you've got to focus on God's power, not your problem. All the Israelites were looking at how big the problem was. David looked at how big his God was. Whenever you and I get our eyes off of God and on the situation, we always fail. Peter jumped out of the boat. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was fine. As soon as he started looking at his circumstances, he started sinking. You can't do that. The moment we take our eyes off of God, we start to sink. And let me tell you this. There are three things here about this I want to show you. Number one, your focus determines your fight. Whether or not you can win it and how you do it. Number two, faith exercise increases faith. The more you trust God and let Him defeat your giants, the easier it becomes to defeat the giants later on. David said, God killed a lion, God killed a bear, he can kill Goliath. This was the third time. David already knew God could do this. He'd seen him do it before. Every time you have an opportunity to let God use you to defeat a giant and you hide like the Israelites do, it just becomes harder later. And then number three, God's Word and God's will is our guide. Not my ideas. Not the world's ideas. I'll give you three examples. Abraham, Jeremiah, and Mary, all three of these situations were impossible. But like Jesus, like the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, 
With men, this is impossible, but not with God. But with God, all things are possible. Then number two, how do I face my giants? Focus on God's power, not the problem. Number two, do what's right even when it's hard. Do what's right even when it's hard. It's not always easy to do the right thing. Notice this. Others will not understand you or they will misunderstand you. David's oldest brother. I know why you've come down here. You've got a wicked heart. He misunderstood. He didn't understand. You are going to tell people how you are facing these situations in your life, and it's God's way, it's not the world's way, and some of them are going to think you have lost your mind. They're going to think you're crazy. God showed you and told you this is what He wants you to do. It don't make sense. Explain to me how a boy with a slingshot facing a giant warrior makes sense. Does that make sense? How many of you, if you knew nothing about the story, would have put your money on David? Don't sit there and say, the Lord be with you. You know you wouldn't. Every one of us would have bet on Goliath. Why? That don't make sense. Why did God do it that way? So that when it did happen, there was no question who really did it. It wasn't David. Others will discourage you and not believe in you. Remember Saul? You can't do this. You're just a boy. If, I, if it was me, I wouldn't go do this. And others will offer their solution to your problem. Isn't that what Saul did? Hey, take my armor. Here's a solution. I think maybe you might have a chance if you do this. The only solution that you're ever going to get to overcome the difficulties in your life are the ones that God gives you. And in order for God to give them to me, I've got to be communicating with Him. Everybody's got an opinion, and most of us are more than willing to give it. The only one that counts in these situations is God's. So what do you do? You do what's right, even when it's hard. And then finally, trust God, not yourself. The truth is, when you come to these situations in your life, and you start looking at, how am I ever going to face this? You're going to come to the same conclusion I do. There ain't no way I can do this. I, I don't see how it's going to work. I just don't think there's no way I can do this. So here's what I've got to focus on. The determining factor is God and His will, not my ability. Is this what God wants me to do? If it is, then He'll take care of it. So how do we face the giants in our life? Number one, focus on God, not your problem. Number two, do what's right, even if it's hard. Number three, depend on God. Trust Him, not yourself. And in the end, just like David, when it's all over, and, and, and please understand, doesn't mean it's easy. What David did was not easy. But at the end, you can symbolically Walk into those that didn't think it could happen. And not arrogantly, but in a sense of testimony. Say, here's the head of the giant. God did it. Just like he said he would. God did it. Do you know by David trusting God and facing that giant, he literally encouraged and influenced 
a whole army to come out from behind their rock and start doing the right thing. Once they saw through David that God really could do it, then they started doing it. You know when God uses you to overcome those giants? You will encourage and help more people than you probably will ever know because they will see that God is real. Okay? Now, how do you have a heart like God? I told you when we started, it's not easy. But we face giants the way God tells us to do it, and we can't overcome. Father, thank You for the giants that come in our life. It's opportunity for us to grow in our trust of You. It's also opportunity for You to show how powerful You are and how much You truly love us. Many of us are facing giants in our life right now. And we need the help You gave David. We need his confidence. We need the peace that You gave him. Lord, I pray that You'll give us that. God, and direct us this week as we face our giants. May we trust You, focus on You, and depend on You as we watch You overcome them in our life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have a great week, everybody. See you.